There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum. Hello and welcome to Made by Mamas the podcast. I'm Zoe. And I'm Georgia. And we're here talking all things parenthood. You know, the real conversations. Tips and tricks. Products we love. And brands we can't live without. Let's get into it. Well, we're in the middle of half-term hell. How's it going? (laughs) (laughs) We're good. And you're actually going to be away skiing, which is wonderful. So when you're listening to this, picture Zoe down yeah. the slopes having a wonderful time Luna and Kitten Ski School so basically we've been uh, well we've been once before with them and I was really unsure as to how they would take it because Kit was only three at the time and I thought it's quite little um, and I, I was worried about them getting cold and all that stuff but to be honest with you they loved it you know they're both really active kids anyway they just did two and a half hours of ski school last time this time we've put them in for full days so they start on the Sunday they've got um, they've got sort of five days so it's like two and a half hours in the morning then we go and get them for lunch we have a really nice lunch with them and then they go back in for the afternoon session they wanted to do it they are obsessed yeah, with it they'll love it as well skiing has been a part of my life since I was three so I just think now I can do it with the kids it's magic it is and I've just shipped mine off to my parents so um <laughs> who's having the real holiday <laughs> actually to be fair that sounds awesome yeah so yeah I mean I've really got nothing to complain about it's just wonderful it's lovely <laughs> me and James are having that week where it's like we're like a normal young couple yeah you know no kids that kind of thing we're working a week but We'll be able to go out in the evenings. I actually might go to the gym like first thing in the morning. Yeah, do it. Yeah. Yeah. So it's all good. It's really nice. I love having this little break. Yeah. And a very different half term to what we're used to as well, which is exactly. which is really nice. So yes. yes, we're thinking of you, however, if you are in half term hell and you're already pulling your hair out, we're here for you. Uh, we've got a brilliant podcast for you today. Um, we spoke to this incredible um, lady um, about a week ago now. And it's I think for both of us, it's really stayed with us because it was an incredibly powerful conversation as in kind of rocks you to your core that things can get that bad with your kids. Um, You know, we always joke about the kind of highs and the lows of things that we've been through. But, you know, the story that this woman tells us, told us was just, wow, mind blowing. Yeah. And I think as well, like we, you know, we we talk about sort of young children on here quite a lot, don't we? And Mm. we kind of, when we think about the teenage years, we're we're always joking around like, oh gosh, you know, they're going to hate us and they're going to lock themselves in their room or, you know, oh God, what are they going to be drinking? And actually when you hear the guests talk about you know what happened with her and her daughter it really puts everything into perspective and it really like 
it really woke me up actually to think, you know, if there are issues at school, if this is happening or or they start changing in behavior, all that kind of stuff. It is not something to ignore. Like, it's really not. No. Oh, God. Yeah, I feel the same, though, Zoe. It's really stayed yeah. with me. It's really stayed with me. Yeah, and what she's done, I mean, we'll get into the conversation. Please stick around for it. But what she's done as a result of the trauma that her daughter went through um, is quite remarkable. A really inspiring lady. Please welcome to the podcast, Suzanne Alderson. <laughs> How are you, Suzanne? How are you this morning? I am. I'm about 10 days into that horrible cold that everybody seems to have, but I'm absolutely delighted to be here. Thank you so much for inviting me, especially this week, Children's Mental Health Week. It's, yeah, yes. it's really pertinent, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. well, we, we were so, so compelled to get you on once we read your email, heard a little bit about your story. We thought this is, this is the place that we really want to have the conversation with you. So can you just tell us a little bit about, you know, the journey that's kind of got you today? And what happened with your daughter? Of course, yeah, it's a it's a long convoluted one. But uh, in 2015, my daughter was 14. She was being bullied at school, and I didn't really understand what was going on. But we started to see little changes in her behaviour, in her, you know, the way she responded, and. After a while, I just thought, I'm, we're going to have to do something. We need to speak to the school. And she just said, mum, you can't, you can't. You know, I mean, you've got children, you know what it's like. Yeah. They say, you can't go and talk to the teacher because everybody will know and everyone will point at me. And so we left it and we left it. And it came to a point where my husband and I just said, we've got to go and speak to the school. And he went and spoke to the school. So I hadn't broken her trust and the school said, oh, yeah, no problem. We'll move the bullies from her class. This was just before the summer holidays. Uh, we were meant to go on a plane off on holiday. And she said, I can't go on a plane because there's too many people. Um, we were going to a hotel. Is the hotel pool just for us? Well, no, obviously not. I can't go there then. So we ended up driving to France and spending a couple of weeks in the middle of nowhere and seeing nobody. And she kind of calmed down. And I think... I got myself into a little bit of a space where I was like, right, okay, we've got this. School are going to change things. And the first day back, she said to me, and I'll never forget it, mum, I've got this. And she like clenching her fist, like, I've got this, I've got this. And later that day, it was one of those days at school where they have assemblies all day, seemingly. And I got a phone call from her just before I was due to go and pick her up. And she was screaming down the phone at me. She'd gone to the toilets. She was beside herself. She couldn't speak. And she said, they're in my class. They're in my class. And what had happened was the school had forgotten to move them. And so all of the build up to this new term, this new opportunity to actually, you know, move forward from this had gone in that moment. And I think for her in that moment, I can't, you know, I can't speak for her, but uh, in that moment, that was it. You know, the authority, the people around her, the people that are meant to protect her, not only her parents, but school um, had let her down. And that was mm. the beginning of a, a very fast descent um, in her mental health. So she stopped eating. She wasn't sleeping. I could hear her padding around upstairs at all hours of the day and night. Um, and she couldn't leave the house. So she couldn't go to school. And then school were like, oh, what's going on? And, you know, I didn't have any answers. I didn't have any understanding of what it was that we were facing at that time. And so I went to see our GP with her and he referred her immediately to CAMS, which is the Child Adolescent Mental Health Service. And that was about a nine to 12 week waiting list, which now if parents are listening and they're referred, I mean, that's phenomenally quick. And yet I still couldn't 
get my head around what we were meant to do for the next nine to 12 weeks. How was I meant to support her? How was I meant to get her through? Was she out of school at this point, Suzanne? So she wasn't, so that's it, she stopped school. Basically, I think by the end of that first week, she went in on the first day and then it became, you know, to the point where I was getting phone calls. She was out of, in the toilets more than she was in lessons. And then by the end of the week, that was it. She was like, I can't go back. I'm not going back. You can't make me. And and the bullies, had they been identified? Because I mean, were they girls? Were they boys? What was this? What was the setup with them? And and had 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 the school done anything apart from saying to you that they were going to do something? Had they had conversations with their parents? What was that support like? No, no. Um, there was no support at all. I think there was a sense that if they just continued, it would go away, oh and. God they yeah they did they did nothing I guess if we kind of go back to when you started noticing like small changes in in Izzy's behavior what what was she like before the bullying um (laughs) she was she was um and she is now but she was oh I'm gonna get upset she was amazing she was full of life she was uh different a bit different she was because we're a bit different you know we're not run-of-the-mill people we are different and we'd always always encouraged that difference we'd always encouraged her to express herself she's highly creative you know Mm. um very visual uh, a brilliant artist a great cook an amazing seamstress she's a creator she's a maker of things and you know, I don't think that, I mean, particularly in schools, creativity isn't necessarily uh, celebrated or recognized as a strength, but we always did. And so we'd see her, I mean, I, I did a, a a talk last week and showed a photo of her with her, that she was about eight and she'd got this mustache on her face that she put on and she'd come down in my husband's dinner jacket and said, oh, I'm, I'm daddy, I'm going out for a, a me- meeting and started talking in his language. It was hilarious and we still remember it. And yet, you know, the school didn't necessarily see that. And we'd, you know, we, so we saw that all of that sparkle just gradually go. And and then when we went back to the GP, because I'd said, I can't cope for, you know, nine to 12 weeks. And he said, we'll come back every week then. And to see, to go from that young child with a mustache and a dinner jacket on to one who then asked if she could go in on her own, spoke to the doctor and told him that she had a plan to end her life imminently which I then found out was that night is just, you look as a parent, you stop and you look and you say, how do we get here? Yeah. How do we get from that to this? Because we didn't change. And this isn't a kind of, Oh, we were, we were completely blameless because we all have our part to play. Not that I'm at all for guilting parents, quite the reverse, but you know, how do we get from that beautiful, bright, Oh, just like buzzing little beauty. To, to this how did we get there mm. she was going to end her life that is absolutely huge the worst nightmare for any parent mm. it must have been crushing for you to to have that realization and I mean you tell you tell us how, how did that make you feel and what did you do I think I mean crushing is a really good word because I've never thought of it in that way but it crushed I think a lot of things in that moment, hope, belief, my spirit, mm. Uh, mm. my my belief in myself, my belief in our future. And I think I was just completely consumed with fear. 
And what Mm. on earth am I meant to do here? I don't know anybody who's ever been here. You know, and and almost there was this sense that, well, young people don't want to end their lives, do they? Just like, you know, it was just making sense of the incomprehensible and it in a in a vacuum, completely mm. alone, nobody to talk to, nobody to say, do you know what? It's really hard, this, and you're going to judge yourself and you're going to think that it's all your fault and it's going to be, you know, it's going to be, it's, it, it's going to be traumatic, you know, with a big mm. T, trauma with a big T, um, mm. but you can get through it. And that's kind of why I started PMH. But it's just to sort of just go back slightly, I guess, did you feel angry? Like in you mentioned, you blamed you know you, you you blamed yourself and stuff like that. But did you feel angry that you, uh, I guess you you were in this situation when you had you know a daughter who was one way, and then something happened, some bullying at school, and then everything changed. I think my go to reaction at the time was blame for myself. Yeah. It was always mm. what did I do wrong, and how can I fix this? And I couldn't fix it. It wasn't something that I could you know, do change my behavior immediately and it would just go away. We were in this now. I did feel anger, but I realized early on that my emotional response really fed into her emotional response. So my anger, if I was going to feel that, I'd need to box it off, not in a kind of I'm not feeling it, but just there's a time and a place for me to process this. Yeah. Mm. And I think that's really important because our emotional temperature can really reflect on our children and yeah. how we regulate them, you know, is something I don't think that we're aware of because we, you know, I mean, I, I can only speak for myself as a parent, but I definitely saw that she was a child and I, I don't know, I just didn't, I just didn't even conceive that she would ever get to a point where, you know, bearing in mind, we had a really close relationship. We talked a lot but we'd never ever talked about those kinds of emotional responses. And and in my fear of trying to fix this and shut it down and not turning into a thing, I didn't listen enough. And so what I learned very early on was I had to, I had to stop talking and start listening. Listening. The th- the thing is, Suzanne, is, is so my sort of take on it, because my sister was really badly bullied at school, is that what started off as the trigger, which was the bullying, which was horrendous, um, led her to develop, you know, an issue with her eating, but she overate and she binged. It led to a whole host of confidence issues. You know, actually mental health wasn't really spoken of. She's 42 now. So back in the day, it wasn't really a thing that we discussed, but it was like that was at the, that was in the middle of the spider chart and then everything came off it, you know, and there was a whole host of things. And suddenly, like you said, it became a mountain. So I imagine for you, you know, you said she stopped eating. What were the other, what were the other side effects or at least what were the, what was she going through experiencing as a result of the bullying, you know, introversy and. Yeah, it's, it's really interesting. Actually, you asked that question. I'm really sorry to hear about your sister and I hope that it's been something that has created a positive change in her life. Yeah. It has. Yeah. I think that's important to say, isn't it? Because we talk about Mm. mental health and it's always about how we can make it good, but we don't often talk about why it's bad and, but what we can do then about it. Uh, so I did a talk the other week with Dove, obviously the self-esteem project is their thing. And, you know, just tying mental health with body image is something that I don't think we do enough. And this isn't about eating disorders. This isn't about, you know, this is about how you see yourself as a person and the things that made Izzy different. She's 
six foot one. She's got the most, um, you know, athletic build. She's wonderful, to, you know, physically, and I probably shouldn't actually even say that, but, you know, it's that part of who she is was picked up on. And I think the key right. is that it's, you know, if we look at our body image, that's, you know, that is part of who we are. So what we look like, how we feel becomes who we think we are. And actually, mm. if your peers who are so important for mm. you know, that part of your brain that's always looking for safety. So your peers as a young person, you'll be looking to them and saying, what do you think? You know, so you see like loads of groups of girls all looking the same. Well, we look the same because there's safety in numbers. And mm. I've decided that you're my safe person. I'm going to follow you. So if then your peers start to pick on things about you at a time where your brain is growing and your hormones are flowing and you just, you're coming into that period of your life where you discover who you are, mm. then it really does sort of hit the core of you. And I think it challenges that. So as parents, we have such a vital role to play in being positive role models, not in terms of, you know, being perfect or anything like that, but just being okay with sitting with hard topics, sitting with, you know, the, the, the outcomes of these experiences so that our children can go through them because we can't go around them. We have to go through them because if we try and go around them, what happens? We end up, you know, traumatized. We end up, you know, depending on what model you follow, mentally mentally ill, you know, we yeah. end up having to deal with the consequences of the actions that may not be our own. They may be what somebody did to us, but we have to sit with that. We'll be right back after this short break. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is plush care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Welcome back to this episode of Made by Mamas. Now, where were we? So you've, you mentioned that you felt that you weren't listening when, it, when Izzy was, was, you know, was targeted, um, that you were trying to, as we all would do, kind of fix, we need to, I need to fix this, I need to fix my daughter, you know, worst nightmare being lived out. Uh, what was the turning point or what made you think, right, I need, to, I need to sit back and listen to her now. What does she need rather than how can I make this better for her? Well, I think it's sobering when a doctor phones you and says your child intends to end their life and I think you just have to sit there and say well something's got to change here and the only thing that I can change is myself so the only mm -hmm. thing that I had control over in a completely chaotic uncertain experience was me and how I right. responded so that's where I kind of started from and another point came when we were told to get her back into school by 
the mental medical professionals that we were working with who were brilliant uh but they kept saying you know get her back into school she needs routine she needs to get back into school and this refrain became actually re-triggering the whole time because what it said was there's something wrong with you as a person and we're going to get you right or right enough and then we're going to put you back into the place that has traumatized you and for me that was like a light bulb moment i was just like no just yeah. no we're not no. doing that you know we've been through and i use the word trauma and it is traumatic for parents when their children's mental health declines or they self harm or they're depressed or they attempt suicide or all of the above um but it was a it was a light bulb for me when it just said we, we this is a trauma we're going to have to stop and change what we're doing and we're going to have to approach this in a different way and that's why partnering not parenting which is the approach that i developed to support her came about because i knew that actually parenting her in the way that i had before which was compassionate it was connective but it i wasn't as present necessarily as i should have been you know that wasn't going to work so i had to do that so stepping down from my authority over what her experience was stepping down from my emotion because she didn't have the capacity she shouldn't have to take care of me wailing because i'm you know worried about my child you know all that sort yeah. of stuff and then stepping down from my um my judgment and my authority i couldn't tell her what she needed because this was her unique experience and again you know it took some time and it took some i'm not going to say bravery i think it just took a bit of come on you've got you know this is alternative to what you expected what you're doing isn't working you need to do something different and we just shut the world out and said no we're not going to listen to what you say a young person should be doing we're not going to um hear all of the things that we've seen and done that don't work anymore we're not going to try and force her into those we're going to be right. led by her properly led okay. by her and that was mm. the beginning where i changed and i started to listen more and i think she changed because she knew she was being heard and i think so much of poor mental health is when we are not heard our pain yeah. is not heard the challenge isn't heard our needs are not heard you know and that's a human human thing isn't it but it is definitely at the kind of heart i think of poor mental health okay yeah yeah so you sort of said like your approach changed from parenting to partnering and you, you you kind of were listening to what she wanted. So was she saying to you like, no, I don't want to go back to school. I want to, what, what you know, what was she, what was she sort of telling you that she needed? I'm not sure she knew actually at the time what she needed. And I don't think she was explicit because one of the things that I learned was that questions became obligations. So to ask her what she wanted or needed became, you know, that basically sent her nervous system into fight flight. And yeah. she just yeah. Yeah. too much. It. It was too yeah. much. But her, mm. you know, when you have a child who um, has gone from the effervescent energy that she had to, you know, not being able to get out of bed, not being able to look you in the eye, not being able to right. engage with the world. You know, it's funny. It, 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 I can think back to those times and I've probably blocked a whole load of them out. But, you know, when you've lost the light in somebody, you you know, what what is the thing that we have to do as human beings? I think the hardest thing we have we, we do as human beings is sit with somebody in their distress. And that's yes. what I decided I was going to do. I'll sit with you in your distress. I can't fix this and I can't fix you because you are not broken. You're bruised, you're battered. You might be a little bit fragmented in parts, but you're not broken. And we will go through this together and we will lose a lot but we will gain a lot as well. And was she receptive to that? Because I, I, I imagine when you're in that place, 
you off you feel so isolated that you've built up so many walls to keep you you know putting one foot in front of the other or as you said actually maybe not even getting out of bed some days that she might have been quite defensive when you said you know what actually I'm going to stay I'm just going to sit in this with you what was her what was her response I think her response was for for quite a while really are you because she'd been so let down. Right. Right. Not directly. And of course, you know, we are loving, compassionate parents. And I think she'd probably of say the same if she was here. But um, I, I think it was a case of she's been let down so much that when she got from all of her tools, she says in my book, actually, all of my tools, I'd used all my tools. I didn't have anywhere to go. So she was in a place where her trust level was so low. So it was really about consistent action. It was how can I prove to you that when I'm feeling bad, I'm still going to behave in the same way. So even when I'm tired and not resourced emotionally, I'm still going to be consistent in what I've said I'm going to do. So I'm not going to force you back to school. I'm not going to ask the questions that pop into my head the whole time, which are, you know, what about your future? How are we going to manage if you haven't been to school? What are you going to do about exams? Oh my goodness, you've not got any friends, blah, 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 blah. Mm -hmm. And it was about me owning my emotional response, resourcing myself taking care of myself, not avocados mm. and bubble baths, but really going into the deep work, that hard work. <laughs> Sorry, that's t- that's funny. Yeah. Not avocados and bubble baths. Oh, really? <laughs> Did that not solve everything? <laughs> <laughs> well, apparently it does, apparently. <laughs> <laughs> I fucking hate avocado anyway. I'm just saying it. I'm just putting it out there. It's fucking boring. It tastes like nothing. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love that. But that's the thing, isn't it? Everyone's like, oh, you know, go and have a bath. And it's like, this is not going to be resolved by a bath. No. No. How is your your life and how are your relationships in that moment? Because I, you know, your daughter has obviously felt very isolated, but so you must you have like as you know, maybe your friends who are parents that not going through the same things like you used to at the same times. How, how was it for you? It was really isolating. Uh, because like I say, I didn't, I didn't know anybody who had a child who self-harmed or who'd attempted suicide or even was depressed or had a problem with their mental health because, Mm. you know, we attribute any kind of poor mental health to, I think to kind of, oh, it's a problem at school or it's, it's something that's fixable. It's a, it's a problem that's fixable. So I didn't have any context. And I used to sit in the cams waiting room, making eye contact with people, just hoping that they would just connect with me and just so we could go through this together. And it didn't really help that it was shared a shared waiting room with a physiotherapist. But anyway, I did keep trying to see whether I could get somebody (laughs) to like make eye contact with me. But, you know, the friendship situation, I was really fortunate. I had one friend who used to bring round little roast potatoes that Izzy loved and she would eat those, you know, and that would be her way of... You know, and she'd listen and she was great. But many friends, because of their own fear, because of their mm. own worry, mm. that manifested in fixing. Oh, have you, you know, can't mm. you get, just get her to go to school? Or do you think it's because you didn't force her to come downstairs when she was seven? And I'm like, no, oh, it's up. not. No, actually, it's not no. That, no. <laughs> also, thank you. I'm not, I'm not commenting on your life. So please yeah. back off a little bit. Please don't comment on ours. You have no clue what we're going through. I I really want to talk to you about um, partnering, not parenting, um, because I know that you were doing the Google searches and that there was quite a lot of resources coming up for the teenagers, that there there was a lot of stuff online that was there to help the child, but actually there wasn't anything really to help parents going through. And that's why you felt compelled to set up this amazing 
work that you're doing. Wow. T- tell us a bit about it. Thank you. That's really nice of you to say, actually. Thank you. I appreciate that. But it's not just me. It's a massive team. But anyway, I'll, I'll, <laughs> anyway. Uh, um, no, it's just you. It's just you. It's just me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, all the time. I, uh, I did look for resources and I actually reached out to a, uh, by email, I spilled my guts in an email to a, a, a large charity and got nothing back. And I figured that if, you know, being vulnerable actually comes quite easily to me, but for other people, it probably wouldn't come quite as easily. So if they'd shared and they'd not got a response, then what did that do? It just reinforced that sense that in some way you were wrong. You'd caused this. It's your fault. And I think the shame of parents when their child's mental health is declining is something we don't talk about because Mm. we all want to be, you know, we all want to look like you two and have, you know, not saying you've got perfect lives, but you know, you kind of, people want to have this, they've got this vision yeah. of what good parenting is yeah. like. And so for me, it was a case of how can I support the parent? Well, actually at the time it's how can I support my daughter? And then it was maybe, maybe what I need to do here is I need to think about how I can support parents because yeah. there aren't, there weren't any books at the time. Um, you know, I wrote my book, Never Let Go to try and support parents and to try and give a, a really real account of what it is like to go through it, but also what you are in control of because we feel like we're not in control of a lot and actually yeah. we are. So, so Parenting Mental Health started as a Facebook group in 2016, about nine months after Izzy first attempted suicide. And I just wanted to connect parents together. So we had about 300 parents at first um, and then it grew and grew. We support over 35,000 now. Um, we're a charity. We've got our charity status in 2020. Um, and we support skill and inform parents on how to parent their child through poor mental health, through partnering, not parenting. And yeah, my book, Never Let Go, was published by Penguin in 2020 as well. So out of amazing. the worst kind of pain, amazing, different, alternative, beautiful, wonderful connections have grown. And, and the biggest question, and the one that we can't wait to ask, how is Izzy now? Izzy is great. Izzy's 21. Yes. <laughs> yeah, Izzy, um, Izzy graduated from university. So she was out of school for two years. Um, she went to college and then she got a couple of unconditional places for university and she graduated wow. last summer. And yeah, Izzy's great. Oh, well, that's the best. That's giving me goosebumps. It is, I know. And I I was just going to say, we normally ask our guests to give a, you know, their piece of advice for a new, to a new mum. But what would be your advice to a parent listening who is worried about their child's mental health? Well, I think I've probably said it already, which is listen and don't fix. Um, But I also think it's about connection. So connect, come and join Parenting Mental Health. We're lovely, we're friendly, we're non-judgmental. Got heaps of experience. I think the point is, is that our children will feel emotion. That's what we we are meant to do as human beings. Mm-hmm. How we can be emotionally aware ourselves, emotionally conscious ourselves, how we can start to become emotionally literate so that we cannot get triggered by, you know, meltdowns or shouting or anger. These are all natural emotions. Just mm-hmm. try to be curious, look beyond what's going on and see what you might be able to find out about your child and how you can support them. And finally, your child's mental health is not a judgment on you, but Mm. if you can use it as a signal, um, then you can really help them. And this doesn't have to be a bad ending. And you know what, Suzanne? We've got five kids between us, me and George, and I think I can speak for George with this one, that we feel comforted knowing that there is something out there for us if it happens at some point. So thank you very much and continue the work that you're doing. It's amazing. You are wonderful. What a brilliant podcast. Thanks a million for coming on. Thank you. Thank you for having me. 
It's really difficult, isn't it, to know what to say when you hear a story like that. I mean, it's so wonderful that, you know, we got to hear a a happy ending and that everything, you know, has worked out. But it's really, really scary how that Mm. can happen. Mm. And you just cannot imagine as parents how it feels. Mm. And also as well, like, you know, yes, of course, you know, the person going through it is absolutely horrendous for and, you know, that they need to get help and all of that kind of stuff. But parents, like, it must be so difficult to know what, what to do in that situation. Like, how can you continue your life as normal when something like that's going on? How can you go to work? How can you socialise with friends? It, you can't. Not, it just all must stop. Yep. And just... Yeah. And, and yeah. the horror that you're living with every single day that your daughter might do something to to, to really harm, like, harm her. I mean, end her life. I mean, it was just horrendous yeah. to hear her. What a brave woman. And I think actually... You know, as I said at the beginning of the podcast, we haven't been able to stop thinking about Suzanne. We haven't been able to stop thinking about Izzy, her daughter. We haven't been able to kind of kind of get our minds out of the fact that it, it might happen to us. And what would we yeah. do? How would we exactly. be able to support our kids? Bullying is the worst thing in the world. And um, mm. I think, you know, hopefully, maybe having Suzanne and her network and her community, the charity, as, as you know as somebody there to, to really try and understand and help you maybe that's maybe that's a bit of comfort I mean I, I, yeah, yeah I, I really absolutely I really think yeah. it is I'm like I feel compelled to to reach out to her again George because we bumped into her didn't we weirdly we, we were talking did. about her and there she was at this it was event so we weird we were like we want to yeah. work with you we want to help so I, d- I don't think it's going to be the last that we hear of Suzanne she's um she's amazing no absolutely not it's not going to be and do like check out her book and her charity as well the book's called never let go how to parent your child through mental illness um Mm. so definitely worth a read or or to pass it on to someone who you think might need it exactly um right we need to get going so before we go please 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 as always if you could give the podcast um a little follow if you have time to leave a review that would really help us as well and subscribe to it as well so that you don't miss an episode yeah and any feedback anything you want to chat to us about then do please just drop us a message on instagram we're on at made by mummers and we'll be back on friday made by mummers is an insanity podcast production and today's episode was produced by the lovely charlotte mason insanity group a lot can happen in the next three years like a chatbot maybe your new best friend but what won't change needing health insurance United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.